Thank you very much. Uh, yes, as Helen said, I prepared one preach and then yesterday decided that that was not the preach for today. So uh, this may not be the most polished preach, but I believe it's what is on God's heart. It's what's on my heart for today. Um, so we're going to go with it, if that's okay. Uh, so the Old Testament hero I'm going to focus on today is David. Um, and there are many, many reasons for this. And like everyone has said about their Old Testament hero, this could be a like a year-long series. Um, and there are many year-long series about the life of David out there. But we've got like 20 minutes. So we're going to look at some truths that David laid hold of that uh, mean he's my Old Testament hero and mean that we can lay hold of those truths and hopefully uh, have something change in our life as a result of that. Um, so when you look at the life of David, it's a dramatic story, to say the least, and it's an inspiring one. You've got heroic virtue, betrayal, war, love, uh, kingship, adultery, murder. Um, so it's kind of Cory on steroids, really. Um, but it's real, and we can learn a lot from it. Um, The Bible tells us more about David's life than any other apart from Jesus, so there's clearly lots for us to learn from it. Um, The story of David's circumstances and what he went through in life can be found in 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. Um, And then the story of David's heart is all through the Psalms, of which he authored about 80, uh, probably, possibly more. Um, So why, having just told you that David's life was full of things like adultery and murder and war, why have I chosen him as my Old Testament hero today? Um, When you think about David, there are many labels that you could attach to him. Some of the positive ones would probably be king, shepherd, psalmist, warrior. Uh, There are also some not so great ones, murderer, liar adulterer. Um, But there is a label attached to his life that in my books is one of the greatest labels that could be attached to anyone's life. And that is that he was the uh, the only person in the Bible to ever be given the label, a man after God's own heart. Um, and not once, but twice. So in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, um, I'll go into the context, but this is, at this point, David is a teenager, and uh, God says, there's, so there's a king over Israel who is not a good one, and things are not going well, and yet God says, I've found, uh, I've sought and found a man after my own heart. And he's talking about David as a teenager. Um, And then you go through all of David's life and you see all of his mess and there's a lot of it and all of his stuff that he walks through. And then in Acts, so hundreds of years after his life, the same thing is said again in Acts 13, 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So out of all the labels that you could place on David's life, that's the one I want, and that's the one I'm going for. And can you think of a higher compliment than those four words, after God's own heart? Um, It fills me with hope, and it fills me with excitement, 
simply because I think that in God declaring that over David, he has flung wide the gates for that to be true of any single one of us here. Um, If David was a mere man, just like me, if he was messed up and broken, just like me, if he failed miserably and often, just like me, and yet these words were said about him, then why not me? And why not you? And why not can we gain something from his life and also be a people after his own heart? Um, <laughs> I put in my notes, David was a mere man, man as in human. Just thought I needed to clarify that for myself, not man as in man. Um, but anyway, uh, so what does it look like for us to embody in our own personality and in our own way the kind of heart that reflects the very heart and emotions and personality of God. Um, Like I say, we've got 20 minutes or so, so we're going to look at three key things about David's life that I believe contribute to those four awe-inspiring, mind-boggling words after God's own heart. So the first one is I believe David had a heart that caught God's eye. The second one is I believe he had a trust in the sovereignty of God despite his circumstance. And the third one is that I believe he had confidence in God's mercy like no other. Um, So the first one, a heart that caught the eye of God. There are so, so many things that we could uh, pick to look at in the life and character of David. But I I had to start in the beginning. I could do, I wanted to do a whole preach on this part, but there was more to say. So to set the scene, as I've already briefly mentioned, there is this rebellious king over Israel. His name's Saul. And uh, things are really not going well. And basically, to cut a really long story short, God says he's going to replace him. And uh, as God is looking at the nations and and looking across cities and all of the things that God has made, his eyes fall on a teenage shepherd on a hill in Bethlehem. And he says, I've found a man who's after my heart. Um, Now, I just want to take a moment to let that sink in. When we think of shepherd, because of our knowledge of the Bible and who God is and that he's a shepherd, we can sometimes glamorize that idea. Um, but really, in, in David's terms, he was the youngest kid, so he got the short straw. He was in a field where no one saw him, where there was not even a roof over his head probably, and his job was to watch sheep all day all night. It would be like a security job now where you sit overnight and guard a building and no one sees and no one knows what you're doing and you're literally just there biding your time on the off chance that something might go wrong. So here's David, the the runt of the litter, sat on a hill in Bethlehem and God sees him. I just love to think about what on earth was David doing with his time that meant that unseen by all of the earth, the God of heaven saw him, noticed him, and decided that that little shepherd boy was one day going to be king. Because whatever he grasped a hold of in the field... I can grasp a hold of now. That means that it's not about position. It's not about me having the biggest, best job. What I love about David and I love about this point is that 
yes, you can have a job that influences tens of thousands of people, or you can influence and move the heart of God. I know which one I'm going to go after. I don't, it doesn't matter about position. It doesn't matter about where I'm placed. I have direct access to the heart of God. And if teenage David on the hill can grasp that, then I want to grasp that too. So, so uh, eventually... God sends Samuel to go and anoint his new king. So he said that, you know, I found a man who's after my own heart. And he tells Samuel, I'm like paraphrasing lots of Bible here. So just go and read it. It'll be way better. But he sends Samuel to this guy called Jesse and basically says, one of his sons uh, is going to be king. Go and like find out which one it is and anoint him. Um, no big deal. So Samuel goes off to, uh, to Jesse and again, cutting a really long story short, says, you know, bring all of your sons before me. And uh, because God's chosen one of them to anoint as king. Now, what you read in the Bible is that David's dad didn't even invite David to the party. Like, can you imagine that? Your own dad has had this, probably the biggest thing that has ever happened in your family like someone has come to anoint one of your sons as king and David's not even invited to the party. <laughs> Samuel, you know, there's all of these sons that walk past him. Surely, and Jesse's, you know, surely it must be this, this guy. He's awesome. No, not that one. Next son walks past. No, not that one. Gets to all of them and Samuel goes, Is that, have you got no more sons? And uh, Jesse's like, well, I mean, that's David with the sheep, but that's David. <laughs> and Samuel has to be like, go and get him. And uh, again, my, my, if we can take anything from this, this message today, it would be that no matter how unseen you feel, how pointless you feel, how much rejection you have faced by friends, family, or those around you, there is a God who is looking way past your circumstance, way past your physical appearance, way past your natural influence, and is looking at your heart. And if he has a plan for your life, you better believe that there is nothing that is going to stop that happening. Um, I've put here, if you feel unseen and like you don't know what your purpose is, like you've pulled the short straw, then you are in amazing company. You might not be influencing hundreds of people, but in your hiddenness, you can be moving the very heart of God. Um, God doesn't care about how old you are, how young you are, whether your job means you influence 10,000 people or you're just tending sheep. He is looking at your heart. Um, and so, so you would think that from this point, David, you know, David has just been anointed as king. Now, that's a big deal for a kid who's only ever watched sheep. Um, so you would think that from this point in his life, his things go up, <laughs> things get better. Um, that's not the case. <laughs> so the second point is that David had a trust in the sovereignty of God that outweighed his circumstances and was not defined by his circumstances. Um, so you would think he's had this amazing promise over his life. He was going to be king. You would have thought that would have made an instant change in his life. But no, David waited over 20 years for that promise to be fulfilled. Now, what kept his heart in that waiting? I really believe that it was the truth that he just learned <laughs> that kept him all that time. 
that he had just seen that the God of heaven didn't care what anyone else thought about him and was faithful to him and loved him and wanted him and saw him and uh, his success was not defined by his outward appearances or his circumstances. His success was defined by the fact that he was seen and known and loved by God and the same is exactly true for us. So, how did he trust in the sovereignty of God in rejection? Bear with me. Um, so you would think, right, <laughs> that as a dad, when you have to call the kid from the field, and it turns out that kid is going to be anointed to be king, that you wouldn't then send them back to the field to watch the sheep because they're going to be king. Well, Jesse did. <laughs> How do we know that? Um, because, so, the rebellious king of Israel, he's having some issues, um, and what calms him is when someone plays the harp. Now, obviously, David has been honing this gift because he's not got a lot else to do while he's watching sheep. And so someone says, I know a kid <laughs> that can play the harp, and he could be the answer to your problems, rebellious king with issues. And so... <laughs> So we see this, we see uh, someone being sent yet again to Jesse to get David. And you don't find him doing anything else. This is how we know that he's still with the sheep. Because in 1 Samuel 16 to 19, it says, Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. <laughs> At least this point, they already knew who was with the sheep. So they didn't have to be like, where's the other kid? Um, but there was no instant change in David's life. There was no instant, oh my gosh, I'm going to be king. Everything gets better from here. See, what actually happened is the word of God came forth over his life. He had a promise over his life and nothing changed. He went straight back into the circumstance and the situation that he was in before. The change will have happened on the inside. See, David had a choice in that moment. He could either believe the promise of God over his life, despite what his circumstances say, or he could lose hope and lose heart because suddenly he found himself back in the backside of Bethlehem on a field with no one looking at him and no one caring what he was doing other than the sheep. Um, but I believe that in rejection and in his hiddenness, he was, I mean, we know he was... He gave himself faithfully to the mundane things and chose to believe the promise of God over his life and said, you know what, if, if God has said this over me, then I'm going to give myself to it. I'm going to cling to it. I'm going to believe it. And we see later how even his fighting of the wolves and the lions and all of the things he did in hiddenness, little did he know that they were actually preparing him for what he would need to step into the promise that God had for him. So do not despise a day of small beginnings. That's in the Bible somewhere. Whatever God has you in at the moment, he is using your faithfulness to the small things to create character in you that will then empower you when he opens the door for your next season. Whether that's in front of people or not, he has you in that rejection, in the stillness, in the hiddenness, and he's doing things behind the scenes. Um, so he clung to the sovereignty of God in rejection. But then Opposite side of the coin, he clung to God uh, and the sovereignty of God in praise and promotion. Um, now again, paraphrasing lots of Bible, uh, there was a massive giant <laughs> who was attacking people. And David, little David, shepherd boy David, said, 
I could take him. And everyone around him once again said, yeah, whatever. (laughs) I don't think so. And he put his trust in God. If you read some of the accounts, it's amazing because he doesn't say, I can defy this giant. He said, the living God is able to take out this giant. And he uses, this is what I was just talking about, he uses the skills that he'd learned in the hiddenness to then take out literal giants. Um, But he used what God had equipped him with in that hidden season. But that opens up a whole new can of worms because suddenly... He's taken out the giant, and now he is a big deal. He has got national prominence. So 1 Samuel 18, 6-7 says, Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Suddenly, this kid has gone from no one knows his name, he's not even invited to the party, to everyone knows his name, all of the girls want to be with him, and suddenly people are singing songs of his grandeur around the nation. Now, in that moment, what is his response? It has to be exactly the same as it was in the rejection that he is seen by God, that he's known by God, that his success is not to do with outward appearances or outward victories. His success is to do with the fact that he is loved by God. And whatever position he's in, that's what matters. Um, There's more I could say. We're going to move on. Thirdly, (laughs) again, you would think, you know, he's killed the, di- the giant. He's in this amazing p- position of authority and prominence. You would think that things continue to soar and go up from there. And they don't. <laughs> he finds himself in adversity like we've never known. First um, Samuel 22, verses 1 to 2. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. So at this point, the victory, the national prominence, which this happens in our day too, As soon as you get a position of national prominence, there is jealousy on that, there's envy on that, and suddenly there were people literally trying to kill David, literally trying to take him out. We maybe don't have that, hopefully, but we still, the moment we step into a position of authority, we're in a war. And so, but David, that literally finds him with people trying to hunt him down, take him out, and kill him. Um, So you've got this guy... Bear in mind, he was promised he was going to be king, and now he's hiding in a cave. (laughs) There doesn't seem to be much correlation between the promise and where he was at currently. But, once again, can you see my main point here? I'm just saying the same thing over and over again. David was not defined by his circumstances. He was not defined by what was going on around him. He clung to the the sovereignty of God. And some of my favorite Psalms that are written by David were actually written during this time because he said, no matter what, what is going on around me, I want God. I want him. That's all that matters to me. Psalm 27, uh, it's thought, was written in these 
seven years, by the way. It's not even like he was hiding in a cave for a week. There was way more that happened. But seven years he was on the run fleeing for his life. Um, Psalm 27. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Now, if I was in that place, that would not be the one thing that I desired. (laughs) The one thing that I desired would be I want to be king like you said I was going to be, and I would rather like a bed to sleep on. And while you're at it, I don't want all of these other miserable people with me. 400 other miserable people joined to be with David in a cave. Okay? That would be my one thing, which is actually three things. But his was, actually, despite this, there's one thing that I want. And that is to be with God, to look at him, to gaze on him, to know him. Because if I know him, then that is what is going to keep me in this situation. And actually, that is all that matters. He had one desire. Okay. How did he trust the sovereignty of God in delay and disappointment? So we get to a point in the story where it really looks like David is finally going to walk into the fulfillment of the promise that was spoken years and years ago as a kid. Um, And I love, love, love David's heart in this. Uh, It says in 2 Samuel 2 verse 1, It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. Now, what is happening in that, that verse there? is that it finally looks like David's going to be king. It finally looks like he's going to get to sit on the throne that he's been promised. It finally looks like he's going to have the fulfillment of all of these things that God has spoken. And despite people around him going, go on, the throne's yours now. Now is the time. David waits and says, God, are you asking me to go and do this? And when God says, go up to Hebron, What that means when you look at the story is that David actually only then becomes king of Judah, which is one part of Israel. So that's one tribe of the 12 he was promised rulership over. But I love it because becoming king was not the most important thing to David. Honoring God was. And so he didn't want to take position for himself because that he knew that he w- if he was to have any fruit and any success in the amazing thing that God had promised, then it had to be in the timing of God. It had to be because God opened the door. It had to be because God said so. If not, nothing else mattered. And so David would rather be excellent over this one portion, even though he's promised the whole lot, than take something that was not his to take in that moment. He was more concerned about being right with God than he was about his influence over a whole nation. Um, The moment we put position or promotion higher than God, we've lost sight of what it's all about. Okay, but then he does become king of all of Israel. Um, Again, skipping out massive chunks of the Bible. Um, Let's look at 2 Samuel 5, verses 1 to 5. Then all of the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. 
And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So in Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years more waiting, more will I choose to believe that the fullness of the promise is going to happen or will I lose heart, will I give up hope and will I mess things up? Now he did mess things up a lot. Um, But (laughs) this is my point that now when he's got the fullness of the promise, he still has the same choice to make. Is he going to let the fact that he's king of Israel define his life? Or is he going to let the fact that he's a son of God define his life? Is he going to rule Israel from a place of sonship? Or is he going to try and let his relationship with God be defined by the fact that he's king? Do you see what I'm saying? Which way is that going to flow? And I think he chooses. I'm first and foremost a son of God. I'm first and foremost. God saw me when no one else saw me. When I was on the hill in Bethlehem tending sheep, God saw me when no one else looked at me then. So it's his eyes I want to live before now. Um, However, last point was his confidence in God's mercy. Now you would think that now that he's in the promise of God that has been over his life, that he's been waiting over 20 years for, um, he would live right. (laughs) But no, some of his... um, biggest mess-ups, if you like, actually happened when he was in this position of kingship. Uh, Even as king, David royally screwed up. Do you see what I did there? Royally? Ha, 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 ha. Anyway, um, in fact, some of his greatest mess-ups were his king. Uh, To name just a few, he slept with a married woman, got her pregnant, tried to cover that up by having a husband come back from war and sleep with her, but then got so mad at his failed plan that arranges for the husband to be killed. So nothing major, just um, some issues. Um, it was a mess, an absolute mess. And there was more than that that we just don't have time to go into. And yet... David knew how to fling himself on the mercy of God. Uh, Psalm 51. um, In fact, let's go to Psalm 51 if you have a Bible or a phone or something. Um, This is where I want to finish and conclude today. It tells us in in the word that this was a psalm that David wrote after, in the middle of this mess and crisis that he had just made for himself. And it starts uh, with this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And it goes on and on. It's basically a prayer of repentance. He goes right into, instead of running away in shame, he runs to the safest place that he knows and throws himself on the mercy of God and uh, says, according to your loving kindness... See, David had a history with God at this point. 
He hadn't just walked straight into kingship as a kid. He now had a whole history of God and he had come to know that his God was good and faithful and kind and merciful and loving. And so when he is in the moment of crisis again, although this time it's a ready-made crisis, he has screwed up. He knows the character and nature of God and throws himself upon it and says, God, according to your loving kindness and the multitude of your tender mercies, will you have mercy upon me? Um, God did not discount him. And we see, as I started with in Acts, still after all of this mess, God said, there's David, a man after my own heart. And so my big takeaway point that I want to end on is that if God did not discount David, then he is absolutely not discounting us. And whether our mess is just that we've been walking uh, with God for years and years and suddenly we're in a really barren place and and don't want to pray or read the Bible, or whether our mess is, whether you're in the room and you don't even know who this God is, but you feel like there surely cannot be a God who loves you because of what you've done, or would even want anything to do with you, the testimony of David's life is not one of personal grandeur. It is of God's goodness and mercy and simply a heart that says, I'm going to trust in that. And so wherever we're at, there is a God who sees beyond physical appearance, who is not afraid of mess and who is willing to reach down right into the middle of our broken, messed up circumstances and say, I will use you. All you have to do is say yes. And so I would like us to finish just by thinking on the mercy of God. Uh, David, at that time, we know that he had a revelation of what was to come by looking at the Psalms. But he didn't even have the, the fact of the fact that God sent his son to die for us at that point. But we do. We know that in our mess and in our brokenness and in the, our royal screw-ups, <laughs> that there is a God who said, I actually see you, I know you, and I will do whatever it takes to have you for myself, who sent his son to walk onto the earth, to die the death meant for us, so that we could know this mercy that David had a revelation of and be with him forever. If that is not a good thing and good news, then I don't know what is. Um, And so I would love for us to just take a moment to pray. We've got loads of exciting things happening after the service today. But let's not leave here untouched by the mercy of God. Um, now, if you are sat here today for the first time thinking, I didn't, don't know who this God is that you're talking about, but if what you're saying is true, then it's someone I want to know, then please don't leave here without speaking to someone. Um, we have a prayer, t- a prayer space uh, at, well, by the sofas um, that people will be there to pray with you. Wherever you are in life, there is a God who is bigger and stronger than your circumstances, who sees not as man sees. And if David can be called a man after God's own heart, then so can we. So let's leave with that challenge and, uh, and just take a moment to ask him what he's asking of us today. So I'm going to pray and then I would like us just to take two minutes to be before the Lord personally and uh, yeah, for you to talk to him. God, I thank you for mercy that knows no limits. Lord, I thank you that as we look at David's life, 
He wasn't great <laughs> in the sight of man. He wasn't uh, strong in the sight of man, Lord, but he simply gazed on you. He simply chose to believe that you were who you say you are and that because of that, he is who you said he was. Lord, and I ask that the same would be true about us. Lord, that you would take our eyes off of our external circumstances and give us the grace and the strength to set them on you, to look to you. Lord, would you fashion form in us people after your heart, Lord, that aren't thrown by by promotion or rejection, but that stay steadfast knowing who we are in you. God, I ask that every single person in this room today, right in this moment, would have a revelation of who they are to you. Lord, whether they are influencing 10,000 people or whether they are hidden completely, let them know right now your smile, your delight, and your hands upon them. God, and if there's anyone in this room who doesn't yet know you, Lord, we, we choose to say together, Lord, that we would be nothing without your mercy and forgiveness. Lord, so we come before you just like David did and say, have mercy on us. Lord, we recognize that we have messed up, that we have gone against what you've said is good and right, that we have sinned, that we have gone astray. But we choose to throw ourselves on your goodness and mercy. Lord, we run, we choose not to run away in shame, but to run straight into the arms of a father who will never stop loving us. Lord, we choose to believe that you are good and for us, Lord, and that you are our savior from our sins. Lord, the only one who can reach down into the mess and pull us out because you desire us to be with you forever. Let that be real to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.